Father, we ask that you would uh, encourage us in your word this morning, and we ask in your precious name. Amen. I've been left the chocolate up here. Is that? That's very good, isn't it? Your wife said it's Valentine's Day coming up. <coughs> um, welcome today. If you're new or visiting, my name's Mark. I'm the uh, senior pastor here. It's great to have you here with us. Um, we are... Um, just in a couple of weeks doing um, something on our vision as a church family. We began last week, and uh, those of you here last week, you'll remember me speaking on, or I hope you remember me speaking, on a story, telling our story, and the importance of telling our story that we get the story of God out into our community. And that was part of one of our... um, six key things that we were thinking about on Tuesday night at Vision Night and then tonight, uh, today we're thinking about um, uh, a second one of those. Um, uh, One of the verses in the Bible, which I think is a terribly sad verse actually, um, is from the book of Judges. You'll know from your Bible history that the book of Judges uh, records uh, one of the lowest points in uh, the history of the people of Israel, God's people. Um, it, it comes as they, they forget who God is, and, and having uh, known God's blessing, they are, it, they're raided, and they're, they're, um, they struggle to survive on a daily basis. Uh, if you ba- bounce back before the book of Judges, you'll remember uh, the people are in slavery in Egypt, and God sends Moses, and Moses comes, and releases the people out of Egypt and takes them through a journey that leads them to the promised land. And that journey, as you know, has a little detour that takes 40 years as they find themselves wandering in the desert, finding a place where they ignored the things and the ways of God. But then in the book of Joshua, we get this glorious time for the people of God. They get to the promised land and Joshua's leading them And they know the presence of God. They know the blessing of God. They know God's goodness and grace amongst them. And Joshua leads them in this time when their harvests are plentiful, when their their cattle are well fed, when, when everybody's got enough. Of course, the danger when everybody's got enough is that you forget God. And it says this in Judges 2. Verse 10, after that generation died, this is Joshua's generation, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he'd done for Israel. So in other words, they'd known God's great blessing, but they forgot to pass it on. They had so much that they felt they didn't need God. So the story of God is really important. Telling the story, passing on uh, what we know of the goodness of God in our lives. So, so, you know, what goes on in the children's groups here and the youth groups here is key. It's key as we share with others and share with this next generation the hope that we have in our Heavenly Father. On Tuesday night, we thought about six key things. We thought about outreach, Uh, That we want to be a church that's not just looking in, but a church that's looking out. A church is a place that should exist for those who are not yet members. That we want to encourage people in our community with the things of God. To share something with them of the story of God. We're going to be focusing on prayer, secondly. And you heard this morning 
Um, Rich is going to be leading us in that as we, we become a, a community of prayer. We want to develop our prayer as a community together. We want to be praying for our wider community, our nation, the needs of the world, but also developing in our prayer lives as individuals. And then we'll be focusing on discipleship, growing as mature Christians, uh, spurring one another on. The next one is mentoring. So we've got a mentoring process that you can link into. There are leaflets in the welcome area where you can find someone that could mentor you and help you and bring you on and encourage you in your things of faith. And then story, which we thought about last week. And finally, community, that way of, the way of uh, enabling us to be family. You know, Mother Teresa said that what the greatest disease on the face of the earth is the disease of loneliness. And the importance of community is really, it's really key. That we would develop as a community, that we'd work together to be a family that's, that's united and together and supporting one another in every way possible. Uh, one of the worst mistakes, and I said this on Tuesday, that um, an individual or organization or a community can make is to sit idle, is to rest on its laurels, is to say, we're okay. Too many times people have protected what they already have and lose not only what they have but lose what they could have had if they had stretched out a hand even further today I'd like to think a little bit more about outreach and I'd like to do it in the context of our reading from the Good Samaritan of all of Jesus parables this is the one that's found its way into our everyday language. We talk of people being a good Samaritan, don't we? We think of, uh, when you think of a good Samaritan, often people think of the phone line. You know, you phone up if you need someone to listen to you. That was started by a vicar in central London. Um, uh, But the parable of the good Samaritan goes further than just listening. The parable uh, where Jesus is interacting with this lawyer is really Important. Let me just set it in its context. Jesus is doing three things here. Um, uh, it's all about um, our understanding of who God is. In this parable, he talks about our relationship with our neighbors. In verses 38 of Luke 11, he gets Luke 10, he talks about uh, the importance of our relationship with Jesus. He talks about how that is key. And in, in, in the next few verses in chapter 11, the beginning there, we get the importance of our relationship with God in prayer. And he brings these out because he says that actually what goes on between our vertical lives and our horizontal lives are absolutely interconnected. So what goes on with God has to affect what goes on with our neighbors. And what goes on with our neighbors will affect what goes on with God. So there's a relationship between those two. It's no good just saying, I worship God and everything's okay, because you know, as, uh, as I know, in the book of James, it says, show me your faith without action, and I'll show you my faith through my actions. It's about what we do. So much in life is about what we do, isn't it? I could say to my lovely Lynn's, I could say, I love you, but if I never demonstrated that, she'd go, I'm not sure you really love me. So I have to do something to demonstrate that love. Chris, you have to give Nell some chocolate, I think, that demonstrates that love. Um, so what? there's a relationship between our worship of God and our support and care for those 
around us. And what I love about uh, the parables of Jesus is their down-to-earth nature. It's not just about, he says it's not just about theory. It's about living this out in practice. What are you doing with your life? So the parable begins. One day, it says, an expert in religious law stood up to to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength and your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. That's absolutely right, Jesus says. Do this and you'll live. And then the man asks the fatal question. He says, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he says, so who is my neighbor? Who who actually is my neighbor? Who is the one that I have to uh, stretch a hand of love out to. He wanted to limit his scope of who his neighbor is. The suggestion is that some people, therefore, are not our neighbors. And Jesus responds with this story. And he picks up on the Samaritan because uh, the Samaritan, in the lawyer's eyes and in the eyes and ears of everybody else around them, would not have been considered a neighbor. He didn't share uh, their faith in God. He wasn't part of this elect group. He was seen as an enemy of the Jewish community. He was someone who was seen to be excluded. One One of the things that I love about Jesus' ministry, and I still think it's radical today, is that he included. And note, he didn't just stay with the religious grouping. He didn't just say, we're okay. He went out to the highways and byways. He went out to, to, to speak to people. He was, he was the one who connected with the, the uh, prostitutes and the lepers and the outcasts, all those who were excluded. And, and he all the time gave a bridge back in to include them. He said, it's no good just being a religious community that worships God. He says, let's go out. We've got something good to share. Let's share it with those who are outside of us. And so this story, because he uses the illustration of the Samaritan, is quite shocking to the listeners. It's a bit like us today if we said, you know, there was this, this um, person in need and, and, and uh, uh, the, 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 the person that came to help them was the, the terrorist. And you go, well, you know, um, should, I'm surprised that the terrorist helped because they wouldn't have a heart for helping people. But here there, he's using that same shocking language and he tells the story this man goes up this road and and uh, he falls among thieves and robbers who take advantage of him and strip him of him his clothing and beat him and rob him and leave him for dead and two opportunities for help appear a priest comes along this is the point that I find quite difficult in this story A priest comes along and you would think, oh good, a man of God, a person who loves God and therefore will live out, love your neighbor as yourself. And the priest comes along and and he chooses to step over the other side of the road and walk past. 
And then, and, and, and probably the man is lying there, he's probably thinking, oh my goodness. And then a, a Levite comes along, a temple assistant, someone who helps the priest comes along. And he thinks, well, at least he might help me. But no, he does exactly the same. Now, uh, before we're too hard on them, um, it was a treacherous road, and, and maybe they were thinking this could be a trap. You know, the, the, the man, perhaps he wasn't robbed. Perhaps they've got a bottle of ketchup out, and it looks like he was robbed. And it's a trap set, so the person who has to help him gets into trouble. You know, that's, that, maybe that's what they were thinking. I'm just trying to defend the priest a little bit. But it, uh, I don't actually think there's much, uh, much mileage in that, really. The law's pretty clear, and, and the priest would have lived by the law. It says this in Exodus 23. It says, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey that strayed away, take it back to its owner. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you struggling under a heavy load, do not walk by, but stop and offer help. Do not twist justice against people simply because they're poor. Proverbs 25 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. And Leviticus 19, which this lawyer quoted, never seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord, and you must obey these laws. So, so really, there's no excuse. There's no excuse for the temple assistant. There's no excuse for the priests. They should have put themselves out for the one in need. Placing personal safety or religious purity above helping another person is wrong, whichever way you look at it. But then he introduces this Samaritan. It says this. It says, uh, Then a despised Samaritan came along. And I can imagine the crowd listening at the time, thinking, well, who's going to help? Because the priest didn't help, and the uh, Levite temple assistant didn't help, and now the Samaritan's come along. He's not going to help. And he says, And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And I imagine the crowd at this moment, a little bit of murmur going up, you know. Oh, that doesn't sound right. And the, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. The Samaritan doesn't move to the other side. He sees the wounded man. He takes pity on him. He bandages wounds, pours oil and wine, wine, perhaps tearing strips of cloth from his own headgear or garment to bandage him. And he goes and has this, he goes to this innkeeper, and I really love this, that he's able to go to the innkeeper, and, and the innkeeper trusts him, and he trusts the innkeeper. I think it's a great thing. That actually he gets there and, and he gives the innkeeper two silver coins, knowing that the innkeeper will look after him if he's paid for him. He will do that. And the innkeeper knows that if it costs more, the merchant will come back. There's a level of trust there that happens. I think so much, we miss that so much in our society today. I feel as though trust goes out of the window so much. I went to get my hair cut recently and... Um, I got my hair cut, and then I realized after I got my hair cut, 
I didn't have any money to pay for it. So I was like, I was there, you know, I was thinking, oh, I haven't got any money. I'll have to go and get some money. And um, uh, uh, the guy, guy cuts my hair. He said, oh, that's all right, any time, pop back. That's the, that, that's the sort of relationship that this merchant, this Samaritan would have had. Okay, don't worry, I will sort him out. You come back when you can. I think it's a good thing to have good relationships in the community like that. I don't, as your vicar, always go around not paying for things. I do actually do pay for them. And then the final question, which of these three, Jesus says, would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And, and what's so incredible is the lawyer hasn't even got the heart to use the word Samaritan. This is what he says. He says this, the one who showed him mercy. He hasn't even got the Samaritan. He was the one. Wasn't he? he says, I suppose the one who showed him mercy. He was the one. And Jesus says, will you go do likewise? Now, the lawyer began this story by asking for a definition of neighbor in order to justify his limiting who he loved. Jesus doesn't define neighbor in so many words, but this story makes it clear that our neighbors are whoever is in need. It doesn't matter who they are. Jesus commands us to love our neighbors. And our love should show no limit. So where does that leave us? Where does this story leave us? Well, like the priests and the Levite, we can't just come to worship God and not go put feet to our faith. Not go and put stuff in action. Jesus was always had a practical application to it. Show me your faith by what you do, James said. And Jesus teaching and his lifestyle demonstrates that. He cared for the broken and the needy. He reached out to the struggling. He picked up those who were down. He walked with the wounded. He included the excluded. Sometimes we can be paralyzed, can't we, by the vast needs out there. There's so much need. What can I do? But actually, we can always do something. Maybe there's an elderly neighbor who needs a visit. Maybe there's a single mum who needs a sitter or maybe there's an untended garden of an older member of your community our community that needs a little bit of work doing on it there's always people that we can help in some way shape or form mother teresa who was famous for her care of the poor and disadvantaged in calcutta was once asked how do you keep serving the poor and sick and the dying with such vigor what's the secret how do you do it to which she answered Whenever I meet someone in need, it's really I consider Jesus in his most distressing disguise. He's the child abandoned in the road. Jesus is the beggar hoping for a meal. Jesus is the leper whose limbs have turned to dust. It's him I help and him alone. I think that's a lovely picture. You know, that Jesus is in everybody. And when we go and help someone, we help them. Isn't this lovely? as though they were Jesus. Now that means you don't just help them to tick a box. You help them and love them. You help them and stretch out mercy towards them. We help them in a way that we would treat them as though they were Jesus himself. I love the story by Jim Wallace who talks of his ministry in Washington, D.C. and 
and uh, talks with the lovely old lady. She's, uh, uh, when last time I spoke to him, I think she was 82 or 83, and she runs their soup kitchen for the homeless. And uh, she starts the day every day with the same prayer, and then she says the same thing to the team every day. She says, somewhere in this line today, you're going to meet Jesus. Treat him well. Isn't that lovely? Somewhere in this line today, you're going to meet Jesus. Treat him well. There are so many opportunities, friends, for us to do outreach into our community. Bringing with us the story of God. The story of what God's done in our lives. The story of what God does for us as a community. The greatest story of what God is doing around the world. And that story is so easily there, found by each of us. But we can offer help as well. We can step up and help in the soup kitchen or the language school. I'm I'm amazed at the language school. Stefan's here. 120 students, people who can't speak English as a first language, but don't necessarily have the resources to go to a school to learn English. What's the greatest way in which we can love them? It's to meet their need. How do you meet their need? Help them speak English. What a terrific ministry. What a terrific thing that that's going on in our community. But there's Choices Pregnancy Center. There's so many opportunities that we can go out. This morning, we as a church are now responsible for um, uh, the second Sunday every month. We do uh, Worm and Scrubs prison services. There's two services in prison. So some, we've got some people in there today. A team's in there today doing that. So every month we'll be going in there. If you're interested in joining that team, let us know. You have to go through um, terrorist. What is it we have to go through? I can't remember now. Anyway, you have to be checked out to excessive levels. It was very... When I, when I filled the form in, my form's still in there somewhere. I haven't got it back yet. I don't know why, but you filled the form in. It said, N- any offences? So I, first time I filled it, I was like, oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I sound like I got a driving offence about 10 years ago. And uh, I said, well, you need to put that down. And they said, no other driving offences? I said, well, when I was 17, you need to list the lot. So I was like, okay. So I wrote several when I was 17. <laughs> including a number of speeding tickets and other things. But that's probably why it's still in there. They're checking me out. But, 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 but the thing that we're going in, we're going in, because these are, these are guys who've gone wrong somewhere. What, what, do they, what do they need? They need someone to go and love them. They need someone to go and share Christ and hope and help with them. I, you know, Ray Elliott is extraordinary in the way in which he's done that ministry so faithfully over the last 18 years. If we want to change the world, friends, we do it one person at a time. Let's not be paralyzed by the massive need out there. Let's be spurred into action by the one person that we can help. Mother Teresa said this, we can't all do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. Teresa of Avila, she was a 16th century nun and mystic, and she wrote this. Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion is to look out on the world. Yours are the feet by which he's to go about doing good. Yours are the hands by which he's able to bless others now. So I want to encourage us. I want to encourage us in our story, to know the story of God in our own lives and be 
telling that story, the story of faithfulness of God, the story of God actually comes at that place of desperate need when we've got a prayer and we really need God to step in. But also to be active in our outreach and to be mobilized into ministry in some way in our community. That we put ourselves in that place where we're able to share that story, that hope that we have, that others might know the Lord and Savior that we know. Now, I, 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 what I, I'd love to do this morning is it, I'd, I'd love to offer uh, prayer for anybody here who has need. Because, friends, you know, the story of God so often in our lives is I had this need and God came and met me. God helped me. But if we don't put ourselves in that place of being uh, able to be met by God, we perhaps miss that opportunity, that story of God changing different people's lives. Just before, just before this service, someone just spoke to me from the last service and just expressed how God had met them last week and changed something significant for them last week. This was it. With tears, they said, this was it. I came and this was it. Well, that's what God does. He changes us. And all of a sudden, our story becomes a story that we can share with others. It, it builds faith in us. So we're going to worship God together. And uh, just as we worship this before Chris leads us in our communion service, if you've got any need in your life that you think, do you know what, would be really great to have someone pray for me this morning. I'd love you to just to make your way up here. Ministry team would be up here. And we'd love to pray for you in this moment.